I was uh, going to start today with a joke, <laughs> um, but I won't. But I thought I would tell you um, something that I was, um, you know, John called me last night, and I was thinking of Jack, um, a time he spent in youth group. I was thinking of a time we went to Lake Champion, and um, I told some scary stories like a good youth pastor, and um, Connor was in eighth grade, and uh, Jack was in sixth, um, and, and I freaked Jack out so bad uh, that in the morning, I woke up with Jack in Connor's bed, um, because, uh, you know, yeah, I'd scared him, and Connor was, you know, his big brother, someone he trusted and, and took strength from. So I was just thinking today as... Um, for you guys, for me, as, you know, we deal with things that scare us, that frighten us, that um, we can't understand sometimes, that we have someone that, you know, we can go to, right? You have somebody like a big brother, Connor. You know, you can crawl to God and... Um, he comforts you, gives you a sense of safety, security. That he says, you know, I am always with you, never will I leave you. Uh, so I encourage you this morning that that's, God, as I was thinking about that, um, something to hold on to. Whew. All right. Um, we are in the midst of our series on the fruit of the Spirit. Um, as I pulled these up here. Um, remember, John started on the first week, and he took this beautiful fig tree uh, to, to many people's you know, horror and took out the saw and, and chopped it. Um, and it is, as a staff, we were talking about this and whether this would work. Uh, and we were talking about what kind of tree to get, um, how to cut it, uh, all of these things. We're like, we want to make sure the tree really starts to look dead. Uh, you know, we, we can't have this tree that, you know, doesn't look dead. It needs to end up looking dead. And so, uh, you know, that first week after he cut it, we came down here. And I mean, two days later, the thing is already wilting and dying. Uh, and it has now become, I mean, it's, <laughs> it just looks like a stick, really. Uh, um, it, it's totally cut off from the root, um, you know. And just totally dead. Uh, last week, Tim told you, which I find hysterical, we're looking for it, and it was in the dumpster. Um, somebody working here was, <laughs> saw it and was like, oh, there's one place that tree should go, you know, in the dumpster. And so we pulled it out of the dumpster to set it back up here this morning. Um, but we use this as um, just an illustration for you guys that, uh, you know, as John came up with this series... Um, you know, he was really reading and looking out of John 15. And the passage that talks about Jesus saying, you must abide in me. Uh, you must stay connected. Um, because if you stay connected, you will bear fruit. Um, and you can see this. It, I'm really hoping, this is my hope, that at the end of this, you know, these figs are ready to eat. But you can look up here. There's, there's dozens of these figs that are produce, it's producing the fruit. Um, they're down here. 
right? Because it's staying connected to the root, uh, to the source of nutrients, to life. Uh, And then you look over here that that tree was exactly the same. It had little buds on it, the, the, the figs. Look at this fig. It got cut off from the root. It didn't abide. It didn't remain. It didn't stay with the root. And so the fruit failed. The fruit shriveled up and died. And so as we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, you know, our goal isn't to teach you any of these things and how to do them, and, but it's really to encourage you to stay connected. Because if you stay connected, you will bear fruit. Right? It's as simple as that. You will bear fruit. And so as we look at these, these fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and we've looked at love, joy, peace, um, they're really evidence they're kind of, as, as I maybe talked about two weeks ago, if you remember, the light on your dashboard for your car to let you know, hey, you're staying connected. Everything's good. Or we got some major issues. The fruit is the evidence of what you're connected to. And that's what it says in John, that he wants to produce fruit in you. And it's going to be through him that it's produced. So, I want to start today and, and talk to you about a story that most of you know. Um, it's the old, old story uh, that we find. Well, old, old, I guess old is relative. But it's the story we find in Exodus um, of the people of Israel leaving Egypt. It's probably one of my... You know, it's one of my, I love the Old Testament, but I, I love the Israelites because I see myself in them and, and in their stupidity. Um, and, um, and there's just so many kind of different levels you can take out of that story. But to refresh your memory, the Israelites have been subject, right, to Pharaoh for years and years and years and years and years, right? They've been slaves. And Moses comes along, right, and the, and the plagues, and Pharaoh finally lets them go, right? And they leave Egypt, and they get to the Red Sea, right? And God parts the Red Sea. You guys remember this, right? And, and they walk through the Red Sea, and now they're going to where? They're going to a land of milk and honey. They're going to the promised land. But it's not like the promised land is right next door, uh, and it's not like they have cars. And there's hundreds of thousands of them. And so this journey is going to take a long time. And this journey takes them through the desert, through some wilderness. Um, and as they travel, they start to complain. See, I love this because I love to complain. Anybody else like, you like to complain a little? I like to complain. And so I see the Israelites starting to complain, and I I say, well, that wouldn't be me. And then I think, you know, deep down, yeah, I'm just like that. And so they start to complain, and they start to say things like, why did you bring us out of Egypt? 
You brought us out of Egypt to die in the desert. And so God produces water for them. And then they're saying, oh, we're so hungry. It would have been better if we were in Egypt because we had food. And God produces manna, remember? And they complain some more. This manna is, you know, bread from heaven isn't enough. Uh, I need some meat. Uh, And I would definitely say that. Um, And what, what is produced, right? Some like quail-like birds, right? Some, some, some meat for them to eat. And so God takes them along and they complain and yet he keeps providing for them. He keeps loving them despite it. And then we get to Moses and Moses then gets to the big mountain. Remember kind of, I always think of, you know, the old Ten Commandments, Right? Charlton Heston, right? That's who played that. I just remember watching it on VHS. We had it recorded, and it was all scratchy, but we watched it all the time. And he'd come up the mountain to talk with God. And then God was going to give him, right, the Ten Commandments. But why he's doing this, all the Israelites are, are on the ground, right? They're base camping, right? They're waiting. And so Moses takes a long time. A long time. Long enough that the people start once again complaining. Where's Moses? Where's this God? Mind you, they've been following a pillar of fire by night and a cloud, a pillar of cloud by day. Like, God's been present. He's parted the water. He's fed them. Yet, they keep complaining. And soon enough they go, we need a God we can see and we can worship. And so they, they get Aaron, remember? Make us something. So everybody starts taking off their jewelry. It's like throwing it at them. Make us a God. Can you imagine if we did that, like, you know, John goes on vacation or something, and I'm up here, you're like, no, we don't like Steve. Make us a John. Start throwing your jewelry at us. We could make a little statue. But that's basically what they did. They, they made a god for themselves, right? The golden calf, right? You guys all remember your Sunday school lessons, right? The golden calf. And they start to worship it. And Moses comes down and he is furious, right? I cannot believe you guys. You couldn't wait for me, right? And he takes the commandments and he throws them down, right? Or, and they break and shatter. And so these are like the big rules that God just gave them, that God put on a tablet for them. And Moses shatters them because he's so mad. And there's some more stuff that ensues. And Moses goes then back up to the mountain to talk to God because now he needs to get a new set. Like, sorry, I broke the old one. <laughs> you know, as you become a parent, you really, I don't know, everything, I just always constantly think about your kids. For You guys probably know, you know, like, I think of my son. He, you know, loves these certain toys, and he breaks them constantly. And then my wife, who has much, may, not more love for my son, much more something for him, you know, goes and buys like a stockpile of them. So when he breaks one, she can switch it out. You know, that's, that's the kind of thinking. Like he comes up, he goes, Mom, I, I broke the leg off my toy. She's like, oh, it's okay. And then 
The next day, she's like, I found a new one, and he's all excited. So that's Moses. You know, he has to go back up. He broke the last one, and, and he gets a new set. And as he does this, um, God is speaking to him. And this is the verse I want to highlight. If you want to put that up, Nancy, in Exodus 36, 34, 6. Perfect. And he, meaning God, passed in front of Moses proclaiming. Okay, so this is God proclaiming about himself. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is what God says to himself after Moses comes up having to deal with all the people of Israel who have constantly complained and disobeyed God. God comes by and he says, one more time. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Slow to anger is what I want to highlight. And Nancy, if you go to that, the title slide. That phrase in Hebrew actually means long of nose or long of nostril. So it's like the, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate one, long of nose, faithfulness, you know, gracious, abounding in love. Long of nose and abounding in love. The phrase, though, is, you know, just like, you know, it's raining cats and dogs, right? Why haven't you ever seen it translate that? Because it'd make no sense to you. But in the Hebrew, that was actually an expression to be slow of anger. And have you ever seen someone start to get angry? Have you ever noticed when, they, when someone, you can see it start, like, boiling up in them a little bit? There's certain signs that start happening. Maybe their face starts to turn red. Maybe their voice gets deeper. My dad did that. Or maybe it gets higher and I'm really upset with, you know. Or maybe their breathing is the key. And then have you ever seen someone try to control that? And they start to try to slow their breathing down. Right? They're trying to control their anger. That's what that is actually talking about, that they're slowing the breath out of their nose, that they're trying to calm down, trying not to become angry. And so it says that God, despite everything that the Israelites have done and are doing and will do, that he is slow to anger. Slow to wrath, slow to judgment, but abounding in love. Now, a little more, I guess, history lesson for you. You know, I really am fascinated as I look through each one of these words and looking at the, for the fruit of the Spirit, the Greek behind it and all of that kind of stuff. So, obviously the Old Testament, right, written, okay, in the Hebrew language, right? Hebrew, and the New Testament then is written for Greek, is written in Greek. The Old Testament, though, has to be translated into Greek. And so as the Greek writers and scribes, as they are translating, okay, 
as they are translating the Old Testament and they come to a passage like this, they have to decide because I can't write God is long of nose. Okay? You wouldn't get it, the Greeks wouldn't get it. And so I have to come up with a different word that describes that, that characteristic, that action, that, that stance. And so they used the word macrothomia. And macrothomia is this idea that we now translate as patience. But it's more so than just patience. Because when I think of patience, I think of um, maybe I'm tired in a situation and, and I, you know, or I'm waiting for God to do something or I'm waiting for someone else to do something. I need to be patient. I need to endure hardships. Uh, but the patience that macrothomia is actually talking about is this idea of patience with a person. Other places in the Bible, you'll see the word endurance as well, um, like have endurance and patience. Um, that word for endurance actually means patience as well, but it's patient with the situation. Macrothomia is patience with a person. And so as they translate the Old Testament into Greek, they take the word long of nose, okay, that phrase, and they change it to macrothomia, meaning patience with someone. But it entails a little more than that. Not only is it patient with someone, it's really patience in judgment against someone who's wronged you. It's patience in dealing with someone that is hurting you. It is patience with someone who maybe is trying to harm you. And I don't just mean, you know, they're trying to kill you. I mean, maybe it's verbally. Right? Maybe they're gossiping about you. And this idea that this patience you're supposed to have for them is being slow to anger in not reacting. But it's even a little more than that. It's, it's slow to anger and, and not reacting to them, being patient with them, not being frustrated with them. Even if you have the opportunity to get revenge... Okay, this isn't, I used to, uh, I used to work out, and I still work out, no, uh, in high school when uh, I wrestled, we had to work out all the time, and I hate working out, because uh, if you ever go to a gym, have you ever seen the, com- the best commercial for a gym ever is the, is the Planet Fitness one, where the, the person is showing kind of this scrawny little guy around and going, this is our gym. And then they see this, this big guy comes in and he, he picks something up, right? I picked it up and I put it down. Have you seen that? You know, I pick things up, I put them down. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, that commercial? And then they like lead him out the back door and they're like, this gym isn't for him, you know, it's for you. But in typical gyms, you got a lot of those kind of guys, right? Want to show you how strong, how buff they are. I, I was never into that. Um, but I can remember a time I'm, I'm in the weight room, we're in high school, and I was, 
Um, I was either a junior or senior. I was getting up there. I was an upperclassman. I thought I was, you know, hot stuff. Uh, And I'm lifting weights. And I can still remember this. I get jabbed in the back with a weight bar. And I set my weights down, and I'm so furious. Like, who hit me? And I whip around, and it's the biggest guy on our team. You know, I was wrestling 140. He was wrestling 275. You know, he was the guy. I picked things up, I put them down. You know, that was... That was him. And so I whip around, like, ready to go. I see him, I'm like, oh, no problem. I'll have patience with you. Okay, this isn't, that's not, that's not the, what I'm talking about with patience. This is a patience where you could do something about it. Not, he's huge, I just have to endure it. Uh, I have to be patient with him. I can't get revenge on him. You know, this is, I could do something about it. This is maybe more along the lines of uh, another commercial for Family Guy. I don't watch the show. I'm not a big fan of it. But the best commercial I've ever seen for that is where the little baby walks in and the mother is laying on the bed. And he goes, (laughs) Mom, Mom, Mommy, Mommy. Mum, mum, mummy, ma, ma, mummy, mum, mum. And if it lasts forever, it's like a 30 second commercial of just that. And then he, you know, mum, mum, what? <laughs> Hi. And he runs away. <laughs> if you have a, a kid, you may understand that. Uh, of, of y- you know, you could do something to get back at them, but you don't. You put up with them. Uh, Even when they make you angry, uh, you don't go, oh, I'm going to get revenge on my kid. Right? Like, that's ludicrous. Um, Yet, here's the opposite. We don't do that maybe with our kids, but we do that with our spouses. Some of you are like, oh, Steve needs to go to counseling with Melissa. Does your spouse ever hurt you? If you're married, probably, yeah. Maybe it wasn't intentional. Maybe it was. Maybe something inside of you goes like, I need to hurt them back. I need to say something to them to hurt them as bad as they hurt me. We do this at work with someone that's maybe been gossiping about us, uh, belittle, I can't say it. What's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, see? Hope the mic picked that up. Um, but we do this at work that not, obviously not with any of my coworkers, just so you know. But, um, you know, we get frustrated with them. And then what are some things that we say? We say things like, I hope they get what they deserve. Right? I hope they get what's coming to them. And then, you know, the boss is talking to us and we have an opportunity to slide in a little remark about them and their lack of work or lack of character, right? To get them back for what they've done for us. And so we, th- we think, 
I'm justified in this. Do you know what they've done to me? All of this isn't macrothomia. Patience with a person. It's putting up with them, despite what they do to you. And in fact, it's, it's not only putting up with them, but not wishing that they would get what they deserve. It's this attitude that because I love, I want to see the situation resolved without the punishment, without the judgment. And this is why when God goes in front of Moses, he says, I am slow to anger and abounding in love. There's one guy in the Bible, I think, that really displays that at a certain point. Um, You look at the life of David. Um, And David, right, is this this little shepherd boy, uh, but then that gets anointed to be king of Israel. Remember? Because Saul, the previous king, or really the current king, is disobeying God. And God tells him, I'm going to take away your throne your, your kingship, and someone else is going to have it. And so we find David, um, remember the story, David then slays Goliath. Got it, right? He slays him, uh, and then he becomes uh, kind of high up in, in Saul's court, and he, and he plays the harp for him. Um, but we get to a point where Saul starts to despise David. And if you read in 1 Samuel, there's almost a dozen times where Saul starts to, well, tries to kill David. The first time we have him playing the harp for him, and it says that Saul takes a spear, and literally it says he tries to pin David to the wall. That's the first time. Then he does it again. Like David runs away, then David comes back and he tries to do it again. Then he doesn't like David and so he's like, how can I get rid of him? How can I destroy him? He goes, oh, you can marry my daughter, but you have to go and kill a hundred Philistines, a thousand Philistines. Go on the front line and fight for me. And his thought was, The Philistines will kill him for me. But God's with David, right? He's successful. We hear later on that he's at his house at one point, and Saul sends people to go grab him, but David is kind of uh, alerted, and he jumps out the window, right? And he escapes. Um, He then, Saul sends people after people to go hunt for David, and David is running away from Saul. And finally Saul gets kind of so fed up that nobody can kill David that he is going to go do it himself. If you read some of the Psalms, you you hear about kind of David's lament to God about being chased and about Saul's trying to kill him. And so we get to the point where at at, at one point David is in a cave, and Saul and his army come in there, but don't really realize that there's other men in there. And it says that Saul goes to sleep, and David comes out. 
and is sitting right next to Saul. And it says that he cuts off a small piece of his cloak or his robe. And while some of the other people in his, in his army and in his, in his men are saying, you could take his life, David said no. And as Saul wakes up, David kind of leaves and then calls out from a distance, see what I have? It's a piece of your robe. You know what I could have done? And it says that then Saul kind of says, I'm so sorry for chasing you. And there's this change of heart. But like the next chapter, he goes back at him again. And once again, we find Saul sleeping with his men. And David comes into the camp and takes Saul's water jug, steals his Nalgene, right? Takes his spear. And once again, people with him go, you could take his life. You would be justified if you did. Look, he's trying to kill you. You are the anointed king to be. But David says, no, the Lord will deal with Saul. He says, the Lord will deal with him. And when that time comes, then I will be king. And so then once again, he calls to Saul and he says, look what I have. I could have taken your life again, but I didn't. That is macrothomia. Now, I'm not saying, because maybe some of you are hearing, I should stay in an abusive relationship. Right? I'm, don't hear that. I'm not, you should get out of that. But, if this slow to anger, sometimes it's translated then in the New Testament, long-suffering... Okay, this long suffering with people that intend to hurt you, intend to, you know, do evil to you. If your long suffering looks anything like what anybody else would do, then I don't know if it's long suffering. I don't know if it's patience. I don't know if it's macrothomia. I don't know if it's slow to anger like God's talking about. Because the slow to anger that God says is a character of him, And the fruit of the Spirit will produce that. And so if that is being produced by God, it should look unnatural. Right? It has to. We're talking about patience with someone, the ability to endure them, to put up with them, that is a crazy level. That is unnatural. That people might go, they're weird. Right? They should take revenge. I want to read you two uh, scriptures that talk about this in the New Testament. Um, If you can put those up, Nancy. um, If I can find them. The one in 1 Thessalonians. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, Help the weak and be patient with everyone. Can you put up um, the Corinthians one as well? First Corinthians. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? I don't think anyone's theme verse is First Corinthians six seven. 
You know anybody who says, oh, my life verse? 1 Corinthians 6, 7. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? But that's what God is going to produce in you. It's this crazy idea that you are going to be able to put up with people because I don't want to see them hurt. I don't want to see bad things happen to them. I don't need to get revenge on them. Because I hope that by me being patient with them, maybe they'll change their mind. Can you put up that other verse, Nancy? In, uh, it's the last... There we go. This is a great one for this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient, macrothomia, with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Let me read it again. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That patience comes out of love. It's that I don't want to see this pain, this suffering that you're going to cause on yourself because of your actions. I want you to turn. In the Old Testament, you almost have the same thing. In Ezekiel, it says, I think it's 33.11, he says, I don't take delight in seeing anyone perish, but I want you to turn. Do you have that same attitude towards people that are offending you, that are hurting you, that cause pain? I want to see them changed. I'm going to be patient with them in hopes that they change. That is a much easier one to kind of think about up here than actually live out here, right? Through our actions. Because we feel like I have the right to retaliate. I have the right, if someone's hurting me, to hurt them back. But the fruit is patience, and it's unnatural. If you hear one thing from me today, realize that most of the fruits of the Spirit, if you are actually going to really, really, if God's going to produce them in you, they will look unnatural. I was just thinking about it. Because the people that I've seen peace in, in times like going on right now, as even John talked about Jackie and Don, that is unnatural. A love for somebody that is hurting you is unnatural. It is not something you produce. It is something that the Spirit of God produces in you. But you have to abide. Right? All these talks are really like promos to abide. You know? They're all, we're all trying to say the same thing every time is you got to stay connected. Because that over there is not going to be produced unless you stay connected. I want to read you one quote about the patience that that is talked about. Um, Macrothomia 
is the spirit that bears insult and injury without bitterness and without complaint. It is the spirit that can suffer unpleasant people with graciousness and fools without irritation. Macrothomia is a man who is wronged and who has it easy in his power to avenge himself, but doesn't do so. That's God's character towards us, right? Puts up with our foolishness. Puts up with our irritation, our sin. He has it in his power to do something about it, but he waits in hopes, in hope that you turn and are forgiven. The band, you guys can come up. Um, and as they come up, I'll... Um, I'd encourage you to take a look um, and see if patience is a trait uh, that is being produced in your life. Um, and if it's not... Um, Realize, I need to stay closer to God. I need to abide in Him. Because it says, that's what will be produced. All of these are hard, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Some of those in my flesh are easy. But some of those, just fleshly, are so hard. But if I stay connected, He will produce it. And it's going to take some time, right? It's not just going to be this presto, the fruit's grown, right? We've talked about that. But it takes time. It takes time. That seeds of change. As you abide, that seed will produce new life in you. It will produce new life in you. times I've failed, still your mercy remains. Should I stumble again, still I'm caught in your grace. Everlasting, your light will shine when all else fades. Never ending, your glory goes beyond
love you from the inside out. You will above all else, my purpose remains. The art of losing myself in bringing you praise. Will shine when all else fades, never ending. Your glory goes beyond all things. My heart and my soul, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out, Lord. Let justice and praise become my to love you from the inside out everlasting your light will shine when all else fades never ending your glory goes beyond all pain and the cry of my heart is to me you praise from the inside out for my soul pray that God would produce in you the fruit of the Spirit, uh, that you would abide in Him, uh, not trying to manufacture it on your own. Um, you know, the one thing I didn't hang up, you know, we keep hanging up kind of these fake fruits on here, just as a representation of, you know, we can try to dress it up. We can try to say, oh, the tree has fruit. But apart from the root, you know, this is paper. That's going to be real fruit. God will produce that in you. As you leave this morning, there's going to be some watermelon out there. We usually set a fruit out for the fruit of the Spirit each, uh, each Sunday. And kind of today's circumstances, we're doing it. First hundred people out will probably get some. So grab some watermelon. Hope you have a great Sunday. Love you guys. See you next week.